You're listening to Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one show featuring the brightest minds in marketing, PR, and digital advertising. I'd like to welcome everyone to a very special episode of Marketing News Canada. We've teamed up with the fine people of people of color in advertising and marketing, where they had an amazing discussion and a very important discussion about the Canadian BIPOC advertising and marketing study that they did. Uh, not only can you download the study in a link in the show notes, but take a chance and opportunity to listen and learn about this very important topic in this very lively and helpful discussion moderated by Julian Franklin as we talk about some of the key pieces from the study and the important elements that all of us can apply in our advertising and marketing work today. This is your story. We are honored that this is the platform that you are telling your story. It's now the industry's job to listen. What we also can't promise you, what we also can promise you this hour is that POCAM is listening and we're here from you. What we can't promise you is a quick fix. We cannot wave a magic wand and say, this is the path forward, everything's gonna be okay. But we are listening and we're committed to this mission. So a little bit about POCAM. We exist to ensure the voice, vision and talent of BIPOC professionals are fully and fairly present in Canadian advertising and marketing. That is our mission full stop. We are a BIPOC inclusive organization. So when we say BIPOC, we mean black indigenous people of color. You will see on the next slide that our group and founders are from across the entire multiracial and ethnic spectrum. Our founders, pleased to introduce them to everybody and many of them are on the video today. Stephanie Small, the originator and creator of the now 800 plus POCAM LinkedIn group and now the creator of Black Taxi, doing fantastic work within the last year since we got together. Elisa Dominique, account director for McCann and within the industry doing great things. Joshua Richards from John Street, who you'll hear a little bit more from today. Justin Senior, director of marketing and advertising at SAMA, one of the few black owned, black run media entities within Ontario. Gavin Barrett, founder and creator of Barrett & Welsh, and one of the few multicultural agencies within our industry. We all came together in the spring of 2020 to figure out a way to do something different. And we're pleased to be in front of you today, moving forward with that mission. So a little bit about the individuals that you're gonna hear from now. Shasan Gracie, who you'll see on the screen, is a data scientist and director of insights and analytics with John Street. Along with him is Joshua Richards, director of creative technology at John Street. The three of us together crafted the visible and vocal study. And really it was to fill a gap, to fill a void that we saw in not uh, uh, having the industry properly showcase what our voices meant within advertising and marketing. There was nothing there for us when we said, what are our voices saying? What are our perspectives? And when we put this out, we were quite frankly, blown away by the response. So before I move over to Shasan 
and Josh, who will intermittently be going through the presentation, a couple of housekeeping notes for everybody. Your microphones and your video should all be on mute. Um, you, you, so there isn't any interaction uh, during the presentation. If you do have any questions, um, in your chat, you should see um, a couple of names from a co for our co-hosts, which are Gavin and Justin. Please forward those questions to, get to Gavin and Justin. We will, as best as we can, try and answer some of those questions at the end of the presentation. Uh, if time doesn't permit that, we will post our email address at the end, which is uh, we are, uh, we are at gmail.com to answer more in-depth questions, because I'm sure there may be many. Um, and then as well, we will also, at the end of the uh, presentation, have a poll that will be posted uh, in the Zoom link for all those who are on Zoom uh, to also answer to give us feedback. So with that, I would say thank you for the time. We're hoping that it's a great informative hour for you. Uh, and this is just the beginning. So with that, I will turn it over to Shasan Gracie. All right, thanks, Julian. So anytime we do research, I think it's important for people to understand what was the methodology behind it. There's lots of data out there. And to be frank, a lot of it is bad. So I definitely want to make sure everybody on this call understands what we did and how we did it. So if you can just give me a minute as we go through it, I think this will be helpful. So we were actually in field from the 11th of November, 2020 through the 1st of December, 2020. Overall, we have 309 completes with people who are BIPOC working in creative industries in Canada. Just so that everybody knows from my data science perspective, essentially speaking, once you've crossed over 300 people, you've gone from something that is kind of qualitative, kind of quantitative to purely quantitative. So that's a great thing. The survey was done completely online. The average length of time to complete it was about 10 minutes. And this is important to know because the longer survey is, the more likely people are going to get bored. They're going to straight line their answers and so forth. But this was a very easy survey for people to complete. And I think many people on this call probably completed it themselves and they would know. In order to qualify for the survey, you have to be a current Canadian resident you have to belong to race ethnicity outside of white Caucasian, and you have to work in an advertising marketing context, either at an agency or client side. So based upon that, out of all the people who tried to come into the survey, 51% of people fell into that. So certain people were not BIPOC, certain people were not part of advertising and marketing, but that's kind of normal for any survey that you do. In terms of language, it was in English, but it was also sent to people in Quebec who had the option of, you know, of actually taking the survey. And in terms of standards, although technically speaking, the MRIA kind of doesn't exist in the format that it did before, I think in terms of the way to conduct ethical research, like it's still completely sound. So that is the process that I went through. In terms of significance testing, if you hear us talk about anything compared to a group, we're telling you that at a 95% confidence level. So in other words, if we ask the same question 100 times, 95 times we get the same exact answer. Uh, and then also just in terms of data cleaning and validation, um, we did review respondent level data at intra quality. The good news is there was, no, there was no bad respondents. So everybody who took it was pretty serious about it. Just one note, just before we get into it, um, as Shasan takes you through the data and the findings, let's just keep in mind that these are your people. These are the people at your agencies that are going through this and feeling this way. So just keeping that lens on throughout the presentation is a good idea. 
Cool. So I think let's first start with just what does the profile of somebody who's BIPOC working creative industries in Canada look like? And as I think Julian has hit on before, it's something that I don't know if anybody's really ever tackled it before. So this might be new for all of us. So with that, let's go to the next slide and discuss. So in terms of company type, most people work at what we would call creative agencies or an advertising um, agency, nearly 50%. The next thing that came up on the list was client side, where 70% of our folks were at client side. After that, it was just a mix of many different types of things, whether it's media and things of that nature. So those were the two predominant ones. In terms of department, it was interesting because people are doing a whole lot of different things. We had 21% saying, I'm doing what we classified as account service. 19% saying creative and design and 18% saying strategy. And again, there's a whole lot of other things in terms of production and stuff that is spread out there. In terms of years of experience, to be frank, the overwhelming majority have less than 10 years, which is not completely shocking for the industry. But from what we know, just from more general data, that our folks are even younger than if you look at white Caucasian. In terms of ethnicity, Predominantly here, we had South Asian at 35%, um, and then Black represented 28%. And then in terms of language, not including English, Hindi was number one at 19% and French at 14%. In terms of age and gender, majority of our people are between 25 to 34. So they're either early on, as we were talking about before, or they're like right in that middle period where you're going from like mid-stage to senior level. Um, we are more likely to be a little bit more female at 56%. In terms of education and socioeconomic background, which we're gonna talk about a little bit more as we get into this, 83% of our folks have earned a bachelor's degree or higher, so that includes master's PhDs, and 61% of them come from either a middle class or higher background. 55% are in a relationship, with four out of 10 actually being married. Uh, in addition, of those who are in a couple, 26% of them have children. If children are present, 69% of them are under 11 years old. And then in terms of immigration, which is another point that's going to come up in this survey, majority of, um, it yeah, it should really read BIPOC and creative industries, not POCAM there. It's 52% um, of them were born outside of Canada and most having lived here for over 10 years. So now getting into the nitty gritty, the real juicy part of it is the findings. So I'm gonna take you through the high level findings and then eventually I will hand it over to Josh to get into implications and recommendations. So I think going through this data, both the quantitative and qualitative, the key thing that kept coming up is that microaggressions are really taking a serious toll on BIPOC people working in Canada in creative industries. What are, we, what are we talking about and what are those percentages? Well, 83% of our people, again, let me repeat that, 83% have experienced a microaggression, eight out of 10. 30% have also reported negative mental health impacts from workplace experiences that they have. And what we decided to do is like, okay, so for those people who have actually had mental health struggles, 
does anything else look different? And what we saw is that for those who have mental health struggles, they are impacted very hard by this poor workplace environment. And they are the ones that are even more sensitive to everything where they are noticing the injustices that are happening. They're feeling they need to be more on guard. They're more likely to report a variety of mental health impacts. So these things which might seem, you know, kind of trivial to certain people should not be thought of as trivial. Like these things, it's not just about what happens to our folks when they are in the workplace, but then these things they take when they are leaving the office, when they're getting on the train, when they're going to our communities, it continues. So this is a very serious thing and we'll touch on it a little bit more when we talk about what are some ideas of what we can do about this to make it better for our people. The second thing that really came out again, looking at the quantitative aspect of it, but also this is based upon looking at the qualitative data. There were quite a few open ends in the survey is what we would call BIPOC needing to come 200%. And I think for most people on this call, it's probably not gonna be a surprise. Most of us, right, our parents told us we always had to do 100% if we were gonna get ahead. So I think what I'm saying here is not shocking, but what was really interesting is looking at the background of BIPOC who are actually in creative industries in Canada, where you've got 61%, as we mentioned earlier, that are at least coming from a middle-class background or higher. And then you have 83% of them having a bachelor's degree or higher. What I can also tell you by the ICA data is that our folks are over-indexing on both of these. So really, a one way to look at the slide is like, yeah, we've got some really like smart people, highly educated people here. And we've got people who have come from, you know, a more quote unquote, like traditional, potentially understanding like all Canadiana and things of that nature. But the problem is that doesn't represent all of Canada, right? And for those of our people who have nothing to do with anything that they, you know, they've directly contributed to, who might not be from a middle class, they might be from a low income or working class background, or they might just have a college diploma, it's a little bit hard. Hey guys, I don't know if we're having issues. The second time I've been muted. Okay, I'm gonna continue. So uh, in terms of the beginning, as I mentioned, 56% of our respondents have 10 years or less of experience. And I think this is really something important to keep in mind because if you don't have a lot of experience and you're trying to get to that next level and then you don't see people who are like you at those higher levels, so at those leadership positions, those executive positions, you have to start to think, is this the right industry for you? And I think most of us on this call will know that, you know what, for the most part, we don't see people who look like us in those higher positions and we have to make a decision. Do we continue in this industry or do we go and do something else? And a lot of our people do something else. So we've kind of gotten into this cyclical pattern where when it's time to get to a senior level, it doesn't seem to be possible. So our people go somewhere else. But then when we have junior people first coming in through the industry, they don't see those people who were there before. And then the same thing happens with them. So again, this is something that as we get towards the end of the presentation, we talk about recommendations, we'll touch on a little bit. 
There is definitely a lack of guidance in creative industries for BIPOC where 78% of our people told us they have no mentor, no sponsor at their workplace. And what this does, it leads to two things, alienation, and it also forces people to assimilate in order to succeed. And as I think we all probably know, that is telling us that there is systemic bias in the system. And just to be clear for everybody in here, you know, something that I talk about a lot, so anybody who knows me is this distinction between mentor and sponsor. So I just wanna make sure that it's clear that when we talk about a mentor, we're talking about somebody who is there to help you more focused on whatever your skill set is and helping to improve it. A sponsor does the same thing, but that person also helps you understand the politics and all the other things that you need to know to advance in your career. And what you see on the right side are actual open ends from people who are part of the survey, things that they said. So for example, I'm just going to read the last one. You know, I have to code switch to be more like them. That is more acceptable. I don't bring myself to work. I bring what's expected of me to work. I don't have the same level of competence to say do things as my white colleagues. And this is something that came up over and over when we looked at the open ends. Also, another key thing that I think we need to keep about keep in mind and something we talked about earlier is about immigration. And as we mentioned, 52% of BIPOC working in creative industries in Canada were actually born outside of Canada. Now, that is a higher percentage than it is for the Canadian population overall. But one thing to keep in mind here, like this is obviously not a StatsCans presentation, but for you to really know is that that number in terms of people born outside of Canada living here is going to continue to increase. Part of it just has to do with the levels of immigrants. Part of it has to do with you know replacement and people not having children and things of that nature. So this is gonna be something that continues to increase. So the perspective of people who have not grown up in Canada is going to become more of an issue. And this is especially important when we're talking about BIPOC, right? Because it's one thing to be BIPOC and grow up in Canada, grow up in the society, understand certain things, and then be working in a creative industry. It is also another thing for you to be BIPOC, but you didn't grow up in the society, but you are now representing the new Canada that, you know, with everybody coming here. So that perspective is also important. So I think, you know, as we talk about these things, it is very important for us to be thinking, one, there is understanding, respecting, and using BIPOC who are Canadian, whether from birth or here at a young age, so forth. There are also people who, yeah, they might technically not be Canadian, but those perspectives and how we, you know, how we talk to them, how we create environments, how we put out marketing, it's important. And what you're seeing on the left-hand side here is basically your typical Canadian advertising. And I'm just gonna be frank about it, that any agency that continues to put out things that look and speak to this, as we go through this decade, they're either not gonna be around or they're gonna be absorbed by another agency very soon. Another thing that we saw in the data was what we're calling a double trauma. So we asked people about what they've experienced themselves we also asked them if they saw it happen against another person. So we've talked about the 83% saying they've experienced a microaggression and 80% said they've witnessed it against another person. So not only are most of our people experiencing microaggression, but they're also seeing it happen to other people. When we asked about racial discrimination, 56% say, yeah, I've suffered from that. But then when we asked them about have they seen it with other people, it's even higher, 60% say that. 
When we ask about racial harassment, 33% have had to deal with racial harassment. And then we ask if they have seen it with other people and they say, yeah, 41% have seen it happen to another person who's BIPOC. So this is really important. You know, one thing I've talked about with Julian and Josh as we're going through the data is when it comes to research, a lot of times when people are asked to more project, it's, it potentially is telling you like really the more true sense of the data. So the reason why I mentioned that is I think what you're seeing on the right, the 60% and the 41%, it probably more accurately represents reality for everybody. So, and again, that's saying that six out of 10 people, right, have been racially discriminated against, 41% have actually had to deal with racial harassment. And the outlook in society was also interesting. So I'm going to step back for a second just to give a little bit more context here. So one of the things that happens in, I mean, probably any sort of like Western society, but I think definitely in North America, is there is a sort of idea that, you know, if you just do certain things, you do the certain education, you do the certain internship and so forth, that you are just going to be rewarded and it's all just going to be about merit and your life should be, should be great. And as we mentioned earlier, most of our people who are in this industry in Canada are highly educated. They're coming from middle-class or close background, like everything that was supposed to happen in terms of the foundation, in terms of what they needed to do succeed, it was all there, but still, 12%, okay, just take that number in for a second, only 12% think race relations in Canada are good. And these are among the most well-educated and well-paid people that you're going to find in Canada. We also asked about anti-Black racism existing in Canada against certain groups, and I don't think it's really a surprise to anybody that the overwhelming majority said is exist against Black, it exists against um, indigenous people, it also exists against um, Asian people. And when we dug a little bit deeper into the indigenous one, when we talk about, do you strongly agree with that? That by far, that was the one that sort of was off the charts. So <laughs> I don't, I'm not sure how people are taking this in right now. Um, what I can definitely say is that I personally feel optimistic, cautiously optimistic. And part of what we saw in the data is the same thing where 66% of our people feel like their agencies are taking positive steps. So that is, that's really, that's really good. I mean, I would still argue that if a third do not, that's, that is obviously a problem that we need to address, but we've got two thirds essentially saying, yeah, they're making positive steps. What we did is we said, okay, let's look at that data for those who say it's making positive steps and those who are saying no my company is not making positive steps and see what's same and what's different i think what cuts across is definitely the lack of diversity at an executive level so whether you think yeah my company's doing a good job you still think that the company is having a problem when it comes to diversity at the executive level if you don't think your company's doing a good job not surprisingly that you say you say that also in terms of those thinking that their company was making a positive steps, part of the reason was the creation of DEI efforts. Um, you know, having people from BIPOC community in leadership positions, and just for everybody on the call again, just to be clear, 
it's one thing to be in a leadership position, like being a director. It's another thing to be in an executive position. So your chief strategy officer, your chief executive officer or so forth. Also, some people are saying like efforts in hiring, like really from an HR perspective that they started to see change. For those who think that no, no positive steps happening in addition to what we talked about already, the executive position, essentially all talk, no action. So they feel like a lot of people are saying things, but they're not actually doing something. And there's just a skepticism as I think is really the key word as we went through the open-ended data here that people are feeling is sort of like, yeah, I don't really believe anything's gonna happen. So obviously this is a very important point that we're gonna need to follow up the next time we do this survey. And then there's also what we call the experience gap. So 41% of BIPOC in creative industry in Canada feel their experiences are not the same as the Caucasian experience here. And 87% say they Shazan, um, you may be. Um, Everybody hear me? Yeah, you were. You were. Hey, Shazan, it's Julian. You were just. Uh, there was a bit of a drop there before you jumped into the eighty-seven percent slide. Uh, steps. Okay. Okay. So I'll start. I'll start again. All right. Thank you. Uh, so I was just saying about experience gap that forty-one percent of BIPOC feel experiences are not the same as their Caucasian counterparts, and eighty-seven percent say they must be on guard just to make it through the workday in peace. And I think. That's a really key thing. So I just want everybody to think about, it, and I think everybody heard me when I was saying that, think about just going to a job and rather than just thinking about what do I need to do for my client or just what do I need to do for my agency, you've also got to be guard because you're worried about these microaggressions, racial discrimination, harassment, and so forth. Um, so there were a couple of key points that we saw when we were looking at the open ends. One, and we kind of touched on this already, is really having to work two times or three times harder to actually get anywhere. But also, not surprisingly, this leads to a lot of alienation where you just feel like you're isolated and you're, you know, you're on your own. And I know I've gone through that in my career, you know, for example, where, you know, I don't have anybody necessarily that I could talk to about with these issues, or even if something so simple as like, oh, there was something culturally speaking, which I didn't get and I made a mistake and it can be very unforgiving in situations like that. So I, total, I totally, from a personal perspective, am not surprised that this theme of alienation came up quite a bit when we were looking at the open-ended responses. And, as we've been touching on quite a bit, but we wanted to actually give you hard data about BIPOC in, in the ivory tower. Because when it comes to executive roles, when we looked at our sample, only 10% of our folks said that they hold management or executive positions. So 90% of our folks are saying, nope, we're, we are nowhere near, near that. And keep in context a lot of things, right? So obviously we have people who took the survey from Toronto, many different places, but Toronto is 52% visible minority. Vancouver is now majority also visible minority. Montreal is about 33%. So even in terms of the places that we work and the cities that we live in the places, we are not representing at all. And just a couple of comments that also came you know, from the um, open ends that I think kind of really brings this home is there's absolutely no one at my agency that is a visible BIPOC that's in a leadership position. 
everyone on top is based on who they knew versus qualifications. And just think about how loaded that is. Or I work at a huge company. So there's representation across the various levels. That being said, top level management, like the executive board, doesn't reflect diversity. And that's something we also have to really, really be careful of because it's very easy for an agency to get a whole bunch of essentially what they would call junior people. They could make them all BIPOC and then they put the stats out there. Hey, look, we're in, yeah, we're in downtown Toronto and we're 52% visible minority. But then when you start to dig a little bit more and you look at certain departments, whether that's a creative department, a production department, you don't see any of them there. And when you start to look at levels, you're like, oh, you basically have put all these people into junior roles. But as you get to mid-level, as you get to senior executive, they're non-existent. Another interesting finding we found is the intersection of race and sexual orientation and really kind of like bringing home that race plays more of a role. So in the survey, we did ask in, for sexual orientation. So it wasn't a mandatory question and anybody didn't, you know, anybody, if they didn't want to, they didn't have to answer it, but I think virtually all our people did. And race, it seems like is really the more powerful marker for discrimination for us when it comes to sexual orientation. It was really interesting because when we were looking at BIPOC LGBTQ in our industry, they are less likely to have said that they've actually experienced the microaggression themselves. So compared to BIPOC who are heterosexual, but the opposite is true for racial harassment where they are more likely to have experienced it compared to heterosexual BIPOC. Also BIPOC LGBTQ, they agree less, less that their company is committed to DNI efforts or taking the steps forward. Again, going a little bit into the open ends and just understanding, um, you know, things from other work that I've done. I don't think it's a it's a complete shock. I think definitely when it comes to society and how we see people, that it is easier, especially I think for people who are white in our industry to bond over sexual orientation than it is about race. You know, Josh and I have done a lot of work with this at John Street, and I think one of the academic things that we found that was most interesting is it's really about proximity of knowing people and that virtually everybody knows somebody who's LGBTQ, whether it's a family member, a friend, a colleague and stuff. So in 2020, 2021, it's very near for everybody, but we still live very segregated lives, whether we're talking about Toronto, New York, or London, where we don't really interact a lot of times with people outside of our race. So there is still a distance. And I think that is really what a lot of our LGBTQ folks are feeling. It's sort of like, yeah, on the, on the side of me as just a person who might be lesbian, gay, bisexual, et cetera, like I, I feel comfortable, but when it comes to my race, I feel just as uncomfortable, if not more so. So we also decided to look at the studies data and see what are the differences between those who work for a creative agency, which we mentioned is nearly half, and those who work for like a company brand, the client side, which was the second most um, at 17%. And those on the client side are definitely in general experiencing a more difficult time with racism in the workplace. They are less likely to believe their leaders are committed to change and are generally more likely to have experienced or witnessed microaggressions or discrimination. So what you're seeing here in the chart is the first set of data. It's for those who, 
who actually work in a creative agency. The second is for those on that client brand side. And, you know, as you start to go down, you start to see these like big differences. So like, if you look at witness discrimination, 63% versus 56%. So 63% for those on the client side. Experience harassment, 40% versus 28%, okay? Have witnessed it um, themselves. That's where things kind of flip a little bit. But it's kind of an ongoing thing that, we, again, we also saw in the open ends and Jillian, um, Josh, and I have had some conversations about it. And, you know, we think it's probably not too surprising that there are probably structures that are going on in a client side that, you know, add additional layers of you potentially feeling like there are not just potentially feeling that there would be more microaggressions, there would be more discrimination and so forth happening even compared to a creative agency. So with that, that is the, as I think Julian said early on, the meat and potatoes of it. But what we also wanna do is just talk about some implications from this data and also talk about some recommendations that we have. And as Julian also said, we can't answer, we don't have the answers for everything, but we do, it's really important for us to start the conversation. So with that, I'm gonna hand it over to Josh and he's first gonna talk about implications and then he'll talk about some recommendations. Um, before uh, we, we transition to Josh, um, Shasan, just wanna say thank you so much um, for the presentation. It was fantastic. And you know, quite honestly, there is a lot uh, for us to digest and we really appreciate you how you broke it down. Just to give everyone a quick heads up, if there are any questions, we will accept questions in the chat. Please reach out to Justin and Gavin, um, and we'll uh, find time for to answer a couple of questions before we close at one o'clock. Uh, now over to Josh. Yeah, I don't know uh, how many more times you got to thank you, but I'm going to do it one more time. Shasan, thank you for you know working with us to pull this together, administer, collect, in, uh, analyze the data, and after some discussion. I think there's really three main implications we can talk about. Um, the one thing about this whole study, though, is it, it validates a lot of this discussion that's happening behind closed doors. We've all been talking about this within our communities, within our friends, and I think it's it's time that the this data uh, arises and is used for good. So the first implication: employers must take the impact of microaggressions in the workplace on BIPOC mental health seriously. 83% of BIPOC professionals experience microaggressions at work and another 80 have seen it happen to people who look just like them and have seen them have to go through it. Uh, the impacts of this is far reaching. From my own personal experience, I can, I can tell you how frustrating it is, how exhausting and how embarrassing it is to be othered, singled out or insulted because of your race and ethnicity. It makes it difficult to be comfortable sharing ideas authentically especially when those microaggressions are from people you report to or from people in leadership. So the takeaway here is that employers really need to work with HR departments and their people to establish training and policies and, and develop safe spaces to protect your BIPOC employees so that they can bring their authentic selves to work. The second is BIPOC professional need mentors and sponsors to guide their talents and nurture their career careers. We know the majority of BIPOC talent in advertising and marketing are folks with less than 10 years experience. And we know that 78% of them don't have any mentorship and sponsorship. Anecdotally, uh, we know that BIPOC leave the industry when they don't see a path forward. And I've seen it happen. I'm sure many of you have as well. We need mentors and sponsors, mentors to teach the skills and provide feedback, 
and sponsors to really assist in navigating the politics and the systems that stop you from moving ahead. I think it's fair to say that um, everybody in the industry knows these systems exist. We've seen it. Favorites are often picked and move forward based on their potential. What we're asking for is that uh, agencies, employers, leaders, and founders find ways to create those same opportunities for people that don't look like them. Third is we all really need to hold companies accountable for their lack of BIPOC in executive roles. So accountability is that willingness to accept responsibility for your actions. So what we're asking for here is that we need to remind our companies and executive teams that it is their responsibility to ensure their agencies are safe, equal, are safe spaces with equal opportunities given for BIPOC professionals. We know that only one in 10 BIPOC from our study hold management or executive roles. This is obviously a complex problem and is the result of a history of systemic issues. But what we're asking is that we encourage all leadership founders, executives to on this call to commit and sign to the call for equity that we put out last year. And we encourage everyone else to really let your leader, leaders know that you want this commitment. You want your company to stand for that. 71 agencies have already signed and there's 12 commitments um, from making a specific measurable public commitment to improve BIPOC representation at all levels and all departments, track and publicly report your workforce diversity data, adjust um, audit uh, policies and culture, and introducing a wage equity program. There's um, eight others eight others to take a look at, and you can take a look at that at wearepocam.ca. So further to those impl implications that came from the data we've gathered, there's also some general recommendations we want to take this time to make since we have so much of the industry on the call. The first is really a need to create new marketing plans. As Canadian demographics have changed, Canadiana has changed, and the growing BIPOC audience must be considered. Toronto and Vancouver are already majority minority and growing. In less than 20 years, another 16 major Canadian cities are projected to be between a quarter and half visible minority. The work your teams are producing needs to reflect these different cultures and actually connect to these diverse audiences authentically. To solve business problems, always include BIPOC perspectives in agencies and client side. Uh, if you've done any sort of unconscious bias training, I think a lot of this may have come up in various forms, but one good example is in 2017, CloverPop, which is a, um, it's a tool for tracking decision-making, uh, published some work where approximately 600 business decisions made by 200 different business teams in a wide variety of companies. And they found that inclusive teams make better decisions up to 87% of the time. Decisions made and executed by diverse teams delivered 60% better results. Teams that follow an inclusive process to make decisions do so two times faster with half the meetings. And third, as a general recommendation, make measuring BIPOC and their perspectives mandatory and all data connected to creative output. So what we're talking about here is when you're conducting research to inform your data and strategy, uh, be sure your sampling plan really reflects the diverse audiences or you're, you're, you're getting it wrong from the start. We want to measure that creative output um, within the work. How many, how much of the work had BIPOC leads? How many are showing a more inclusive picture of Canada or telling authentic stories from different cultures? Track that and look at it and do better at it. That's just yeah. I'm going to.
Yep, I'm going to come back in for some further exploration. The only quick thing I was just going to say in addition to that is, I think for some people on the call, that last point might be like, oh, don't we do this already? But the truth of the matter is no. So in most cases from an agency process, for example, when you are thinking about strategy and you're thinking about consumers, a lot of times questions around race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, and so forth are not even asked at all. And as you go throughout the entire process, they aren't asked. Even if that brand, for example, might be in terms of its audience, 40% visible minority, most of the data is based upon people who are white, who are middle class or higher and have certain advantages and are more likely to be on online panels, which has a host of biases within it. Um, so I just wanted to add that, but now we can go into further exploration. Hey, Chasan, it's, uh, it's Julian here. We think we have you on mute again. So we just may need you to start uh, at the further explanation slide. Um, but you're back. You're great. Back. Uh, East Asian experience was really interesting because as we were looking through the data, only 31% of people who were East Asian said that their experiences are different compared to white colleagues. So essentially speaking, they're saying, yeah, I have the same experience. But then as we started to look at other questions around discrimination and stuff like that, their responses were fairly similar to the rest of the sample. So that sort of disconnect is really interesting. You know, we have a, a few ideas in our head of why that might be, but as Julian mentioned early on, the point of this is for us to be data-driven and not just pontificating. Like, right, we don't wanna be one of those people on a political news show who just says something which is not rooted in fact and evidence or anything. So definitely when we do this study for the second time, that is an area where we will probably dig a little bit further to understand. The other thing which we kind of touched upon before, but it was more from a general perspective is about skepticism. And as we looked at it by race ethnicity, we saw that those who self-identify as black or South Asian were definitely more likely to be skeptical. Again, a lot of us on the call, you know, we probably have a fair idea, but again, we want this to really be data-driven and we also want this to be insightful. So even if we ask that open-ended question initially and we get something that's interesting, we wanna keep digging and digging a little bit more to just really understand the complete issue. So definitely as we set up the study um, at some point this year, that is something whether, you know, we have to take maybe like 30 or 40 people or black South Asian and we do like in-depth interviews, we'll figure that out when it comes but it is very important for us to get a better understanding about the skepticism. And it's also important for us, as I mentioned, to understand that East Asian experience in creative industries here in Canada. So I'm just gonna walk you through real quick um, what we found in terms of what respondents wanted for the future of POCA. So, in order from left to right of uh, levels of importance, um, they would like us to act as a vocal industry advocate. Uh, I think that was the number one or number two requirement for 76% of the people who took this survey. Uh, looking for BIPOC specific mentorship and, and how do you navigate these systems being a black indigenous or person of color. Uh, implementation of the call for equity. And this is one where 
we, you know, we asked again, everybody signed, but in a couple of weeks, we're going to be putting out an accountability tool. And what this tool will allow you to do is self-report as an agency on where you are against those 12 to 15 requirements. And then finally, act as a watchdog against discriminatory practices. So the rest of this deck is actually pull quotes from the open ends that we encourage everybody to take a look at when we distribute it. But just being mindful of time, we got 10 minutes left. I think we should hop over to the Q&A. That's great. Thank you, Josh. Um, fantastic work. Uh, once again, uh, to you and Shasab for um, taking uh, the group through this. And uh, great to see some of the commentary, um, positive commentary in the chat from everyone who's uh, online. So uh, thank you for the great comments. And thank you, Josh and Shasab for the great work. Uh, we have about roughly uh, seven minutes um, for Q&A and a close. So we have a couple of questions from the audience uh, for you two that um, uh, we will uh, pose. I think we may have time for uh, two to three questions. So uh, first one, um, and you know, for every, just to let everybody know, just uh, we, we, it's a safe space. So please don't be afraid to ask a question. We will not share your name. We'll just put it out there to uh, Josh and uh, Shasan to, for their best answer. So uh, first question, uh, going back to the Outlook on Society slide, where you differentiate anti-Black, anti-Indigenous, and anti-Asian racism, do you fear companies are now doing a white versus them and blanketing, and blanketing the term under BIPOC? How important is it to look at the intersectionality and difference between each group and their experiences? I would say, with, I would say for me, it is definitely key. And that's why that last point um, that I was making, I think is so crucial that yes, I do think a lot of times we have agencies that are speaking about a specific group, but then putting it all under BIPOC and assuming that those experiences are all the same. And they're absolutely not. The histories, everything could, you know, is, pr is pretty different. So for example, if you have an ad agency and like, let's say that virtually all your visible minorities are East Asian as we were talking about, well, that's a different experience than if you are black or if you were South Asian or if you're from some other part of Asia, like all those things are different, or if you're black born in the UK. So I do think it is really important that we are careful that when we hear BIPOC, and we're hearing specifically coming from agencies and people from powering agencies, do they really mean BIPOC overall? Have they really tried to understand those differences? Or are they just taking one group as a substitute to put something out and to move on? And I'll be honest with you, I think majority are doing that. Yeah, it's, it's definitely happening. We saw it um, late last year where there was some work that was put out and when it was questioned, it was the response was, well, we took it to a BIPOC person in the collection of you know, things that affected the black community very differently. Thank you. Uh, next question. Uh, how many indigenous people participated in the survey? Are there any insights that can be shared broadly? So in terms of who came into the survey who self-identified as Indigenous, there were only two people. So that is the reason why we haven't sort of like parsed out the Indigenous data because not surprisingly, like two people really can't represent a population. So I think another thing that we might have to try to do is I think there's two things here. One, maybe look at StatsCan and understand how many folks who are Indigenous are currently working in creative industries and also maybe coming up with a different strategy in order for us to get 
I would say like at least 50, if not 100 people. But I also think that the way the survey was sent out and the fact that we only got two, it's actually telling on the industry more so than the survey itself. Josh, any commentary to add? Oh, that covers it. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I would say that, um, you know, that covers it well from, from our, our perspective as well. We put this within uh, the advertising marketing industry. So this is as much a lens and a mirror back to our industry as it is who did and who did not take the survey. So a very good question. But also as we dig into this, um, there may be an opportunity for us to continue to do more outreach uh, to uh, Indigenous and other uh, components and people within the BIPOC industry. Um, next question. Um, I think we have time for maybe one to two more. Uh, how might Caucasian colleagues in middle management uh, support this work and support BIPOC colleagues? I'm going to let Josh, I know Josh has the perspective on it, so I'll let him start on that and then I'll just jump in. I think, I think it's a very simple thing to do is give credit where credit is due along the continuum. Make sure you're shouting out the people that are putting in the work. Let their names and faces be known to your colleagues. Um, a, a thing that, that we've heard happens often is there's you see a body of work and uh, whoever's leading that project tends to put their name on it and then that's how it carries forward. I think uh, you know keeping us visible and vocal is super important to that end. Yeah, and I would just add on top of it, I know sometimes we're taught to try to be as humble as possible. But I think it's an important skill, especially for BIPOC in this industry, is to know when the right time to really toot your own horn. And just one, more, one more point to that is um, using that, even in middle management, you have a seat at a table. So use that table and do what you can to support others, sponsor others, bring others in. Great advice. Um, I think that will end our Q&A. Uh, thank you so much uh, for everyone who sent them in. We have many, many more that have come in. What I would say is we will be able to continue this discussion and this conversation offline. Uh, if there's more questions to be asked, uh, we will be able to answer them at uh, wearepocam at gmail.com. I know uh, a question that had been coming through uh, the chat as well, will this uh, information and this deck be available? The short answer is yes. Uh, this information and, and deck is for you. This is for the public. This is for BIPOC and non-BIPOC people within our industry. And again, specifically, this speaks to Canadian marketing and advertising. Um, we want to make sure that we are being targeted uh, because we want to be able to affect the most change within our industry that so many of us have put our careers in and want to spend time in for, you know, not just two or three years and then moving out. We want to be 10, 20, 30 year veterans to reach to that pinnacle of executive level and making an impact. Um, one more uh, thing I would just say a special thank you uh, to the group that is on this page. Uh, there's been a lot of work that's been done uh, behind the scenes, uh, but I want to say a special thank you to Barrett and Welsh for all uh, led by Gavin and his team for all the great work that had been done in the lead up uh, to the ads that uh, engaged everybody to sign up to obviously just the, the commitment to being a part of POCAM. We wanna say thank you to Barrett and Walsh. We also wanna uh, a special mention uh, to John Street uh, with um, Joshua and Shasan being a component of that. And thank you for their, their efforts and their work in, in putting this together. And then the two names that are on the screen, Fiorella and Malahu, 
We want to thank them very much for the tireless work from the social uh, strategy standpoint, as well as just um, in general, keeping us all in check from a project management standpoint. This has been uh, a yeoman's task, uh, but many hands have made light work. And we hope that this has left an impact for everybody who has seen this today. Um, you know, what I will say in summary is this is not new. Um, all this is, is cold hard facts to go with anecdotal uh, conversations. And please use this in your organization, use this uh, individually, use this instead of other data that may tell you otherwise or not give you the perspective of the BIPOC experience. So uh, with that, if there's anything else from um, Chasson and Josh, uh, we will allow you to get back to your day. I'll just say thank you to everybody. And yes, let's continue the conversations. Perfect. Um, last slide, please join us um, through our socials uh, at WeArePocam and our website at wearepocam.ca. You will notice uh, in the coming days that we will post this presentation uh, and uh, this has been recorded. We will also eventually post uh, the uh, video of uh, this webinar. So all of these assets will be up on wearepocam.ca in the near future. Thank you, everybody. Have a fantastic day. Take care. Thanks for listening to Marketing News Canada. For more episodes and other great stories from Canadian marketers, visit marketingnewscanada.com. All episodes are recorded at the Jelly Marketing Studio, thanks to our producer, Chris Penner, and editor, Travis Jeffers. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.